You're listening to the Toolstation Western League podcast with Ian Knockholds and Tom Hiscott. Welcome, listeners, to episode 11 of the Toolstation Western League podcast with me, Ian Knockholds. Now, I am delighted to be joined by James Healy. I'm not joined by Tom Hiscott today. Um, we've put Tom on furlough. Uh, he's uh, hopefully going to be coming back to uh, to opening the bowling when we uh, when we come out of lockdown, and I'm sure he'll be he'll be a demon with the new ball. We've got James Healy with us um, today, the uh, the Western League's um, uh, social media uh, manager. James, lovely to see you. Uh, well, lovely to speak to you. Um, how have you been during lockdown? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Um, it's been manic with the games all being called off um, and updating websites and. Uh, all the fixtures and everything. My hat comes goes off to George for uh, trying to get his head around rearranging all the fixtures, which have now been done and all updated on the app. So, uh, yes, uh, it's been quite busy. Yeah, it must be your cup final, a situation like this, because, of course, you know, we're, all the fans are desperate for any scrap of information and um, anything to sort of keep give us our football fix. So I suppose that, that the requirement for you to come up with new and interesting things on social media is uh, is constant. It is. It's, it's easy when games are going on because obviously you've got the trickle games happening weekends, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, so you've got the scores and uh, yeah, updating all the results and everything. But yeah, when there's not a lot going on, um, it's difficult to keep fans up to date with stuff and trying to think of campaigns and uh, whatnot to go up on social media just to keep fans engaged with what we're trying to do. Well, it's two of those campaigns we're going to have a little chat about today. We're going to kick off with the Think of a Fan campaign. Now, of course, this was something that you uh, you started um, during the first lockdown. So I suppose it's just as relevant now. It is, yeah. I think even more so relevant now. You read that people's mental health and, uh, and whatnot at the moment is, is plummeting. Um, and people are struggling, being stuck at home, no football to go to. Um, so, yeah, we had a chat. Um, you gave me a call. And uh, we went. We decided to uh, to revisit the Think of a Fan campaign because last time it worked really well. We had a lot of engagement with the posts we were putting up, and I think people thought that yeah, this this is a good uh, good scheme to get people talking. Really, so yeah, we're trying to encourage more people to think of a fan that they would see on a Saturday or a Tuesday at a game that they haven't seen for a, a few weeks now, just to get in touch with them, give them a call, see how they're doing. See if they need anything. Just that one call could uh, could help someone out massively. And the posts that you've been um, you've been putting out there, they're deliberately positive because I suppose there's an awful lot of negativity going on at the moment. But deliberately, deliberately, we want to be positive. We want to get people talking about Tool Station Western League football, and we want to get people telling us what they love about the game, don't we? We do, yeah. So we've had uh, we've had a couple of really good ones. Obviously, Roland at Warminster. Um, I think most people in the Western League know of him. And what he produces. So yeah, we've we've had a few quotes come through, but obviously we'd like some more. So anyone listening, if you're a, a fan of any club or just a Tool Station Western League follower, uh, get in touch with us with a quote of why you why you like going and watch um, to watch our games really. Because the, the more we have, the more posts we can put up and encourage people to talk to each other. Listeners can get in touch with us um, through the website, can they, James? Yeah, through the website, through our social media channels. Uh, or they can email me, which is uh, james.healy, H-E-A-L-E-Y, at toolstationleague.com. Excellent stuff. 
Now is exactly the right time then for me to introduce um, our first interview on today's show. We've got three interviews um, for you um, on to uh, on today's um, um, podcast. Um, we've got uh, we're going to open up with an interview um, from Tom Hoare. He is a director at Mine, Bristol Mine to be precise, and um, just take, you know just leading on from what James was saying there about mental health. Um, we think it's really important now to to hear about um, the, the support that exists. And, of course, Mind are really at the forefront of that. Um, but, of course, we want to make it relevant to football. And, um, and Mind have a really interesting partnership with the English Football League. And that's what I started by talking to Tom about. For the last two years, um, uh, Mind and the English Football League have entered into a partnership to try to create the space for discussions about mental health i'm sure i'm sure a lot of pe people have noticed on the uh, the backs of shirts um of the of the pl players of, of the church championship league one and league two uh, a squiggle on the back of a shirt and that's the the mind logo um at different clubs lo lo local mind organizations have been staging different events ranging from um, from uh, bucket collections to sort of fans forums to talk openly about mental health. Mind is very much associated with um, um, with the issue of mental health. I mean, what 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 variety of, of different sort of support and, and services do you provide people who are suffering with mental health issues? Here at Bristol Mind, we have um, a telephone helpline that's open every evening um, from seven until 11 it's a, a free phone anyone can call it's completely anonymous uh, you can just talk to somebody about anything that's bothering you people ring and they talk about relatives who are going through problems or friends who are going through problems and they want to know how they might support them we also run um, a counseling service we run various sorts of advocacy services to try to support people to get the sort of the services and treatment that they might need. Um, we run a mental health hate crime service, which acts on behalf of people who are, are victimized due to their mental health. We also do a, a wide range of training and we give talks to businesses, community organizations in and around the community. Um, obviously, you mentioned that you're involved with Bristol Mind. Um, I know that there are other um, local um, Mind um, charities across our, our, our region, but also, of course, Mind is a national charity as well, isn't it? Could you tell us a bit about how the structure works? Yeah, so, so it is a national charity, and then there's a network um, of about 122 local Mind organisations who are all uh, independent charities in their own right. And scattered across England and Wales, and they all pr provide different sorts of services as they've all grown up locally and have sought to address local needs and issues. So there's um, Wiltshire Mind, there's Mind in Somerset, uh, there's Bath Mind, Mind in Devon, Mind in Cornwall, Dorset Mind. So across the patch, there's a Mind in every area. But they all do slightly different things. A number have helplines, a number have 
um, have counselling services, but also they may run physical activity groups, or they might, um, or they might run more sort of social groups, um, befriending services, and they're all different sizes as well. But we're all part of the the Mind Network. Now, obviously, these are very difficult times for the whole country um, as we enter the, the, the second lockdown um, of 2020. I mean, have you noticed an, an increase in the number of people getting in touch with your organisation? Yes, I mean, I mean, we have had a, um, an increase. I think a lot more pe people are feeling uh, lonely, are feeling isolated. We, we've noticed an increase in, in the number of people people who feel anxious. I mean, I think that's anxious about the, the situation currently. I think that's anxious about the future. You know, when will we go back to some sort of normal way of life? I think obviously that as a lot of people are anxious about their employment, about their housing situation. So I think there has been a, a generalized increase. I think inevitably also among young people and children in an increase in potentially sort of difficult behaviours which may manifest themselves later in some sort of around mental health. It's obviously children and young people have been massively affected as well. I think the withdrawal of grassroots sport, grassroots um, football, um, I'm, I'm involved as an under-12s coach with, with a team and I know that after the first lockdown we had um, we had two players who who didn't return their parents had said that they had lost interest and I think that's a real risk as obviously sport and activity are great for our, um, our mental health you know you know in general you know and and organized team sports people can really immerse themselves in it even if only for an hour or so a week it can have an enormous impact certainly at the western league we we've been concerned about how the loss of football at our level will impact upon the fans um, at our clubs obviously our fans are no less passionate than the fans of professional um, teams and in many cases of course western league clubs will cover smaller more rural communities um, across the west of england outside of the of the big towns and um, and cities. So that's why we were, um, we've been championing over the course of, 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 the, of the both lockdowns, the Think of a Fan campaign, because we want people to remember those people they see on a Saturday, um, because that might be the only contact that those people get during, um, during the week. And, um, and, you know, we're worried about, about, their, about their mental health. So even something as relatively silly as football during these current very difficult challenging times for the country if people are feeling a little bit low that's still a good reason to take that first step to talk to somebody about their mental health absolutely i mean i think as well it's not um it's not a silly it's not a silly thing you know it's you know it's one of our national pastimes i mean uh i'm a coventry fan i've been i've been a coventry fan for over 50 years and it'll be the one constant throughout my whole life, really. You know, pe pe people change their relationships, their bank accounts, all, all those sort of things, um, more often than, the, the, than their fo fo football club. So I think, I think for a lot of pe people, football does play an enormous part 
it's you know it's what runs through a lot of people's history they remember things that have happened to to them in their life in connection with you know sort of different times and 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 different matches and i think it is a a place where people go and they share in those sort of you know two hours that they're there share a, a bond with all of those people around them even if they're on their own but it, it's also a place where people strike up conversations i mean i've been to i've been to lots of uh of country away matches i don't live near country anymore go, go to away matches and whoever's stuck to next to you you just start chatting because you have an immediate bond. You both support the same club. You're both interested um, in football. And then you can go from there. I mean, it's a, you know, I think it's an opening. It's a way to sort of talk to people. And it's a way that people can then, you know, have, have conversations which perhaps go beyond that. You know that, that sort of the football bit. I mean, particularly at the moment, I think a lot of people, older people, perhaps who are are perhaps more more isolated anyway. Um, particularly men. I mean, men men are less good at maintaining social relationships um, in general. I mean, that just goes. A lot of men, as they get older, they and this isn't. You know, I mean, I'm the same as anyone else. Tend to neglect their social relationships more than women do. They're much better at sort of hanging on to social relationships. Um, and because and because men aren't, men can end up feeling more isolated and and have less people able to talk to. I mean, that's one of the reasons. Um, that's a big reason why men say they don't talk. To Talk about their mental health. You know, a number say they've no one to talk to, or they've learned to deal with it by themselves. So, I think it's an enormously important thing. Football isn't just a, a sport; it's a lot more than that for a lot of people. You know, it's 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 a it's a a part of their life, a part of their being. It's a, a part of my life. It's a part of my being. I've missed it enormously. And for people who are listening to this, who are thinking that actually they might not be feeling themselves at the moment, they might be struggling a little bit. What are the common signs that people may um, uh, experience if they are struggling with their mental health? I mean, I mean, anything from difficulty sleeping, sleeping t- too much, a feeling of sadness or, or sort of hopelessness. So it can be sort of such signs in behaviour, so changes in mood, energy levels, or um, uh, or appetite. It can be physical signs, ongoing headaches, digestive issues, um, pain, unusual thinking, or or thoughts that interfere with doing things, like interfere with work or with family. A change in in sort of being quick to be angry or irritable or aggressive, a feeling of a need for um, for alcohol or some other sort of uh, 
situation altering substance drugs um, etc and thoughts about suicide as well is obviously a, a very significant issue I mean um, I saw a statistic that said that 40% of men wouldn't go and seek any sort of support unless they'd actively thought about suicide, which is a, a quite a shocking figure. I think one of the big messages for all men is, it, is that it, it's, it's okay to be not okay. And I think within football over the last years, there's been an increasing number of football footballers who have talked about their own um, their own depression Danny Rose um, Peter Crouch Lee Hendry and players from more, more sort of years ago um, Paul Merson Andres Iniesta Jenny Buffon John Mark Bosman Bosman who gave who gave his name to the situ the, the ruling that upset the whole sort of transfer you know, in Europe, um, he's he's experienced a lot of depression in his life, and and has spoken openly about it. So I think there's been an increasing number of players who've acknowledged it and um, have found a voice to sort of to talk about it, which I think is enormously enormously helpful. You know, if um, if these people who we look up to have these problems and stay and can say uh, I'm not okay I need some help I think you know it makes it easier for people like me to say that that too and if there are people at home listening to this who are a bit concerned about the way that they're feeling at the moment and would like to talk to somebody about it what advice can you give them what what's what other what are the sorts of things that they they could be doing well, I think, I think the first thing when you recognise that you've got any sort of problem, the best thing is always to find somebody to talk about it to. Um, now, obviously, you know, that might be a friend, that might be a family member. You might not have anyone. So that might be a person on the other end of a phone who doesn't know you and who you can ring without having to think I've got to t tell them who I am I've got to tell them where I live um, they will know this about me they might hold this against me in the future um, or judge me but there's a lot of a lot of telephone helplines out there where you can just ring and you can talk to somebody anonymously tell them anything you know and they will talk these things through with you they're not there to judge um, and often I know from our, our own helpline most of the pe people who volunteer on our he own helpline have had their own pro problems or still have their own pro problems and that's and that's why they want to volunteer because they want to give pe people the space to sort of t to talk openly. I mean, obviously, the best is a person who's a bit nearer to you in your life. But if there isn't that, or if you don't feel able to take that step, I think to another person, 
it might be your GP. You know, every, you know, the old sort of saying of every journey begins with a, a single step, and and the first step is is you know a to be open um, to yourself about it and say actually, um, you know, if I'm really honest, I'm not doing well at the moment. And then and then the second step is right. I'm going to tell somebody about this. And, and for some people, they find that enormously liberating. Enormously liberating because although you haven't passed the problem onto anyone else's shoulders, it doesn't feel as if it's all on you anymore. Exactly, it is, it is a little bit shared. And, and across the country, there's, um, there's been setting up the... Um, an organization called talk club which is for men in different areas and and it's for men to just come together and talk about not feeling okay and and get the support of of a men and i think unfortunately a lot of us as men think that other men will judge us if we admit to sort of you know, to sort of to difficulties, because a lot of us, you know, a lot of us have, have been brought up to, with this sort of the pressure to look strong, to look as though we're in control at all times. You know, with sort of James Bond, John Wayne, Clint Eastwood is the sort of the big sort of role models. But most of us know we're not like that, and underneath. You know, we all have problems, and actually, I think most men are very open to talking about those six things if they have a little chat. Um, last season, I, I was um, I was doing I was I was doing um, a bucket collection at uh, um, at Bristol Rovers against Rotherham, and and almost all of the Rotherham fans arrived on one coach, and there was this guy who. He told me he was 85 and uh, he did look it and he asked me what I was doing and I explained what I was doing and he talked to me about the, uh, the death of his wife and how his, his connections w w with the club and, you know, he talked about the sort of the managers, the players as if it, they were sort of his close friends and he obviously, you know, and he knew every single Rotherham and he walked past us by name but he said that it it had really you know it had almost saved his life that he'd still got you know he might have lost his wife but he'd he'd still got that and that was a really obviously the source of a lot of very sort of close relationships for him um and i think you know i think the fact that i was standing in there with a t-shirt that said mental health on and that i was took talking about mental health, perhaps gave him the sort of thing, oh, well, I can mention this to this person. And that's what I often find, you know, if I run stalls at places and, and behind me on the stuck all are all these sort of th things about mental health, anxiety, depression, pe pe people let their guard down a bit. So, so I think one of, of the other things that we can do as men is is to be someone to talk to 
is to be a person who is approachable, who seems to be non-judgmental. Don't be afraid to admit it's not going well for yourself. As I said earlier, it's okay not to be okay. Just in case anybody wants to look at more information online um, or perhaps call a number, I mean, is there a, a website that, that people can go and visit after this interview? Um, there's a lot of mental health organisations around the country. Um, there's Mind, and if you want to know what's available on a more sort of local basis, you know, if you just if you just look up Wiltshire Mind or Bath Mind or Mind in Somerset or Bristol Mind, depending on where we are. If you do live in Bristol, in North Somerset or South Gloucestershire. We have our own helpline, 0808 808 0330. I'll, I'll say it again, 0808 0330. And that's open every night um, from 7 until 11. And you can also call um, most mines during the day and if you explain what you're looking for or what you might need, they will be able to sort of guide and sign post you towards some help. And my thanks to Tom for his time. Now then, before we get on to our, our second um, interview, and which is a blast from the past, um, I'm sure regular listeners over the years will have uh, will remember Richard Fay from his uh, title-winning side at Street. Well, he's now playing his trade at uh, at Melksham in the Southern League, and um, and I caught up with uh, with with Richard um, for a chat to see how he's getting on. But before we have a uh, before we have a listen to what Richard's got to say for himself, James, what have you made of the Premier Division uh, this season? The runners and riders has it shaped up uh, in a way that you thought it would? Yeah, I think most people were expecting. Parkway to be at the top. Um, I saw them against Hallen, I think first game of the season, first or second game of the season. And to be fair, Hallen ran them for the first first half. And the start of the second half, they come out and Parkway scored, I think, three in about three minutes, which killed the game. But yeah, they, they did look good, I have to say, Parkway. So there's no surprise that they're near the top. Um, Street, I think, are surprising a couple, although they again went down to Parkway and conceded 10 but uh, I know they lost early doors against uh, First Division Sherbourne and I think them being sitting fourth at the moment is a little bit of a surprise for me um, and seeing Hallen near the bottom is, uh, is a surprise after the season they had last season. Yeah and, and, and then of course we've got the unknown quantity in Bitten as well haven't we? I mean they're currently ninth in the table but they've only played eight games. Yeah and if um, decent side so if they uh, if they win their games in hand Obviously, they're going to be right in amongst it at the top there. So, yeah, I, I expect Bitten to be pushing and Bradford as well, I think. That's a, a lovely way to lead into um, um, our next interview. It is, it, it is with Richard Fay, as I said, of course, um, formerly of um, uh, of Street when he when when they were the title winning side that went up to the Southern League. Of course, back with us, um, back with us now. But there's quite a lot in here for Western League fans. Perhaps Richard is um, has got quite a history um, with the league. Anyway, I um I, I started off by asking Richard about his health because I had read reports on social media that he hadn't been too well. So um, that's where we began. Yeah, no, myself, um, back just before lockdown or a week before lockdown, unfortunately, um, my assistant, Nathan, was tested positive as well known now, so I can say that. 
and one of the players. Um, obviously, myself being with Nathan in the week or say the three, four days before that, every day, and as well as traveling in the car to get myself tested. Um, I had two tests and both come back negative. So, um, as well as being, I was ill, um, I think it was just the, uh, the man cold or man flu. Um, I'm just glad it wasn't uh, COVID. Excellent stuff. Now, of course, we are, um, we do want to talk to you about your time in the Tool Station Western League. Um, but uh, I can't really have a chat with the manager of Melksham Town without asking how your season's going. It's, not, it's been a bit difficult for you this time around, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, it has. We, um, obviously, the, the pre season and the starting late didn't help for anyone, any club. Um, but then we have started and we've played, only, we've only played six league games and only winning the one, and that was the um, a Tuesday night away down in Moneyfields close to your hometown club. Oh, yes. Um, and the other five, um, unfortunately, we've lost, and two of them have been due to red cards, in my opinion. Uh, we lost the league Barcelos after uh, 10 minutes against Winchester to a straight red. And then Matt Hurley against Fatchum, um, uh, two yellow cards, it nil-nil, and ended up losing 3-0. Three, three then we played a, a midweek game against Sirencester, and we never had a goalkeeper, and we managed to call up a lad from who was out by Warminster. Um, it's just been, it has been a nightmare. And if anything, lockdown came at a good time for us, just because we've had a lot of COVID flying around, self-isolation, the same as every other club, really. Um, it's no excuses. It's just been stop-start, and, and we haven't been able to try and have a settled squad and, and like any successful team would have, a bit of consistency. And hopefully when, when lockdown does get lifted, we can get back to how we finished the season last year. Yeah, well, I want to talk about that because you had a very good finish to the season last year. And I was really, you know, as somebody who keeps an eye on Melchum's results, I was, I was really optimistic for how you were going to go this season. I mean, did you, did you have any ambitions for, for, for this season or, or were they curtailed because of, you know, the uncertainty surrounding the coronavirus? Well, again, last year when we started off, similar to how we started off this year, it was, um, it was hard because it was a massive rebuild. Yeah. And that was well known. You know, when I took over, I only had two players in Luke Ballinger and, and Saeed Ibrahim. So we come around November, we, a few experienced players joined. Your Josh Fords, Dave Thompson returned, um, and Jake Morford. Then we got on that unbelievable run, winning nine on the bounce. Um, and it took us from fourth on bottom up to the playoffs and floating around the playoffs. And I think we only picked up a couple of defeats in 18 towards the end. And it was really, it was trying to a case, the season gets called null and void. Um, and we were fifth. And if we did win our last game against Biddeford, then we would have finished the season, you know, third, and which was unbelievable for everyone involved in the football club. But you try, you hope that you're going to carry on into the, into the next season. Um on the same form and it obviously hasn't worked out like that at the moment. Um, some of the signings I've brought in haven't worked out, uh, but you know, there's still five months to go. Um, we've still got to play 32 games, so I don't know if we're going to fit all them in, but you know, all we want back is you know, football on a, on a Saturday in a midweek and try and climb the table and finish as high as we can. I mean, obviously, the, the, the Southern League is a higher standard of football than you um, were used to in, with Street in the, uh, in, in, in the Western League. I mean, because uh, obviously you took Street up, um, of course, and had a season with them in, in the Southern League. I mean, how have you adapted you know, to life moving out the Western League into the Southern League? Yeah, well, I've done a few years at the Southern League um, you know, with other clubs. In, and the big one is taking Street up, after, especially that successful season of winning 26 on the bounce. I had to get that one in, didn't I? <laughs> um, <laughs> but we, uh, 
you know, by winning the league by 15 points and taking them up and then finishing set, uh, eighth in the first year of um, Southern League football for a football club like Street, it was massive. It was um, huge. As some players had never played Southern League football, um, to take them up and then go in, you know, just to see them. Um, they, they look forward to going out there on a, on a Saturday. and You didn't really need a team talk. So then having the success of going down to Weymouth, say, in the FA Trophy drawing 2-2. And there were some massive highlights. And it was a shame that they took the voluntary um, relegation. But that was the reason why I just felt after two seasons as manager of Bitten, at the start of my managerial career, finishing runners-up two years on the trot and not applying to get promoted. Um, and then Street, how hard we worked and winning those 26, getting promoted, and then going back down to West League. I just felt it was time to move on and and take the opportunity with Melcham. Um, and I see Street are doing really well now, which is good. And I hope if they do finish in the top two, if two go up, um, that they do take that opportunity again to step back up because you know everyone wants to be in this division in the Southern League, and, and I vouch for a lot of Western League managers, and I. I hope if it was street and they did get that opportunity again that they would have go and have a go. But there's a lot of if and, if and buts at the moment with with COVID flying around in this season. Maybe it a, a start next year again where clubs like your Parkways, your Bitlands, you know, there's numerous clubs that, that want to go and have a go at Southern League football and have got the ambition now. So there is a difference, but it's um it's it's a, it's a, a lot tougher league. Yeah, put it that way. I mean, um, obviously you are a Southern League manager now, but I mean, you know, when you look back at your time in, in the Western League, is there anything you miss? Yeah, well, you know, we've, we spoke for half hour before this call and, and it, it, I do. There's a lot of, you know, some of the grounds you go to and, and supporters and there's a lot of, same as Southern League. I think when you come into Southern League and there's a lot of South Coast clubs, I know you've got your Biddeford and Barnstables in, in Devon, but in the Western League, I played, you know, majority of my career in, in Gore in, in the Western League and, there's still a lot of those old faces um, that are still, still associated with these clubs. And, it's, and it is good to catch up and to see these people when you are in the Western League and you play, you know, the likes of your Cabaret, say, and Longwell Greens, and, and you go as far as, say, down to Bar- Barnstable, where um, you've got people there that you haven't seen for years. So, yeah, no, it's, it is down to, a lot of it's down to the supporters and, and the, the grounds, facilities of where you used to play when back in, back in the day when I was a lot younger. Now there is the, the sort of the one million pound question, um, which you've alluded to a couple of times already in our discussion, and that is the issue of how this season might end in the event that we can't we can't keep on playing. I mean, have you got a preference um, for that? It's an hard question. Where you know last year with the null and void, I didn't agree with it. Um, being selfish because we were up in the playoffs and we were fifth, and and I do believe the run we were on and the confidence of the lads, we would have got in there. Um, this year, having only played six, and some might say because you know we're I think we're fourth from bottom, third from bottom, um, but only played six games. Moneyfields have only played four. Then it's hard. I just don't know I, how with the FA a go or the, you know the Southern League, Western League, just because there's so many games to fit in. I understand that it needs to finish by the end of April or middle of April, May because of the Euros. And like I said to you earlier, we've got 32 games to play in five months, so that's a lot of midweeks with COVID flying around and someone going into isolation or all the players going in like we have done in the last uh, couple of weeks before this lockdown, you know, you could be fitting in 32 games or 30 odd games in four months and then it's three months and we've not even had the bad weather. So if there was a way of shortening the leagues and and trying to play, you know, 15 games or 18 games and having midweeks free, then I think that's the answer. 
um, but that's only my personal opinion. But I feel sorry for the ones that are making the decisions because however they're going to decide, the teams at the top are going to be a lot, um, won't be happy with it. I, my opinion, I wish last year they, we've, everyone finished the season and then there would have been any arguing and then we could have had a, a, a re-look at where we are now and to find, you know, which is the best way to go. One of the reasons I wanted to get you on um, the podcast is because I know, um, you know, I know you've had a very interesting sort of footballing journey and I, I'd like to talk a little bit about your own career in, in football, both as a player and, of course, as a, as a manager. Your, um, your name came up in a conversation I had with Martin Cassidy when um, I did an interview with, um, with Martin about his work with Ref Support. And, um, and that was, I think he refereed you when you were, when it might well have been when you were playing at Bristol, Bristol Rovers, which is where I believe you, you, you started uh, mm. your, your playing career. So, um, um, well, can you take us back to those days then? Yeah, well, again, when I left school, I, I done the school, it was um, schoolboys then. And I'd done the, uh, the two years with Bristol Rovers and, and got released. And to be honest, I, as you did at that age, I, I, I went off of the rails a bit, as you could say. And I ended up playing for Jeff Evans down at Torrington. And people say, why did you travel all the way down there? But playing for Jeff, he just got me back into, into the game and as a goalkeeper. And we struggled the first couple of years. Then we ended up winning the league um, in Tour Station 1, that was then. Um, but every home game, which was obviously away for me, because it was uh, two hours away, but we used to stay down there in the hotels. It was always a night. The team spirit was unbelievable. And that got me back in, in back into the enjoyment of it. And then I moved on to your Bittens and then Manor Farms and Frooms, you know, and typical merry-go-round. And um, yeah, and then I had a bad uh, thigh injury. I, I ruptured my thigh into um, helping out for Tiverton. They never had a goalkeeper one Saturday when I was at Froome. It was the year we got promoted into the Southern League with Froome. And I always struggle kicking a ball anyway, Ian. I'm not scared to admit that. And a lot of, there's a lot of people out there that will say, but I, I just couldn't get the strength back into me, back into the thigh. So obviously my dad was being a, was a manager for a lot of his career and it just fell on my lap. I ended up joining um, Cabareef and helping out Lee Knighton. Um, I shouldn't have played looking back at it now. And then I got the opportunity to um, to manage Bitlam. John Langdon gave me a call and, and he took a lot of confidence and faith into me. Um, and for those two years, finishing runners-up, two years on the trot, I think it was to Murfair and Larkle, um, I was just disappointed we didn't get promoted. And then since then, everywhere I've been, I've had a bit of a, not say a problem, but the same with Bridgewater, with um, things behind the scenes that didn't, didn't work out in budgets and things like that and uh, and Poulton and then the last few years have just been you know say a crest of a wave the, the three years at street were just unbelievable to to take a club you know it raised a lot of eyebrows at the time but I had a friend in a centre forward that persuaded me and wanted to come in and and Steve Murray and the goals that he scored that got us up there and finishing runners up the first then winning the league um it was a you know so far it's been the best times of footballing career as a manager and a player and then you know the opportunity to come to a club like Melksham um, it's been tough but again the confidence in the the faith the committee um, and I'm lucky really having a chairman that's been a manager and some people might say that might that how does that work but Darren Perrin he, he's been he's been there and done it um, we've got a, a good great relationship and he he knows how hard it is at this level of football um, and like I said to you earlier, a lot of people don't realise this is only Melksham's third year in Southern League football. Um, the first year didn't end 
as well as a lot of people wanted it to. Last year, you know, we got into the playoffs and then it's null and void. And then this year, I started as well. But then the season gets put into lockdown after starting a month late. I just want a full season to prove myself in. <laughs> so yeah. it's, um, yeah, no, it's, it's a great club. And it's hopefully one that I think with the support and um, the supporter, the fan base, you know, and, and we've got a lot of ex uh, footballers behind the behind the scenes in Simon Price and Andy King, you know, obviously Darren is is chairman. Um, they understand football, and it's and it's nice, you know, after you lose a game or win a game, they know they know how you feel because they've been in they they've been in your shoes. So, yeah, hopefully when we can get, you know, we're trying to build something for the future, and if we can get a full season, you know, at the club, then um, things are looking bright. Put it that way. Because I know your time when when I first met you, it was um, it was when you were at Porton Rovers, mm. and I know that that was a difficult time in your career. So the the opportunity with Street, um, I mean, that really um, righted a wrong. It must have it must have helped a great deal with your own self confidence at the time. Yeah, definitely. It, it was one I wanted I wanted to get out of Bristol. Um, people say, oh, and not long ago, I only spoke to somebody at another club and and said that. Why haven't you managed in Bristol? And I have, um, especially with Bitten um, and those two years. And but I wanted to, after what happened at Poland, and it was our the club was outstanding. The, the people behind the scenes, and I said to you earlier, yeah. the chairman Dave Bissett was a lovely bloke. He's brilliant. Um, it, it was just a chance of getting out of Bristol. Um, it was a travelling of an hour just to a home game and training and things like that. But those set of lads, it, you want it's hard to to repeat that. I don't think you'll get that again. They were all mates. Um, they all still keep in touch now. The, the team spirit you had was second to none. And, you know, myself, Nathan, there was a lot of people that I got to take a lot of credit for that. But they bought into what we tried, we wanted to do. Um, and, you know, that, that second season, the first year of runners-up, the second season of winning it by 15 points and, and getting the promotion and some of the performances that we did have and, uh, and the games that we won and winning 26, it was... Not saying it was a confidence thing, but your beliefs in what you want to try and achieve and what you want to do and get across to your players, they they proved it because they did it. Um, and and to get to get as far as we did with a little old club like Street and that's and people that's common what people come out with, um, it's massive. And I don't think that'll ever happen again. I don't think because of you only got to look at the Western League now and the clubs that are up there at the top. Yeah. You know, I took over a Street that that finished below halfway in in. The, se- the season before so to get them to co- go along and do what they did after that um, for self-pride and confidence it was huge. I know you're an ambitious man and obviously you're an ambitious club um, now in Melksham not least because of the incredible facilities that they that they enjoy so I mean in terms of maybe even if we put Melksham to one side I mean what what are your ambitions still in the game how high would you like to go in terms of ma- oh, your, your management? Yeah, like, any, like any manager Ian is you want to you want to manage as high as you can. I, I think it, when I got the opportunity to come to to Melksham, I, at the time I was thinking let's have a break from football and because of the stop starts and and wherever I've been I've had to rebuild um, and start all over again and get in new players and then you're you're chopping and changing. But at Melksham I'm, I'm confident and hopeful and and funny enough I speak to Darren most days. Um, it's a chance to, to to build something, and it's like a project. You wanna you wanna try and, and again, like I said earlier, try and establish them as a Southern League club. This is only our third year at, at Southern League football, and it has been stop start. 
um, but they've only had one full season at Southern League. So I think sometimes you've got to um, sit back and try and build something. Try and we've got an average age now. I think it's 22, um, and try and tick along. You know, this this bit stabilising. Keep the club. It, we'll, we'll always keep this club in this division. I'm confident of that. But I think last year we were a victim of our own success because we got into the playoffs. People then think we can do it again this year, and it's harder because because of COVID for one, um, and budgets and things like that. But I think if we can carry on building and and feel, I would it be. I think that'd be my biggest achievement. Would be taking this club up into the seventy prem. I think at the moment we're a long, not saying a long way off, but we. You've got to look at the clubs that are around the top at the moment. They're all established. Your Tottenham, your Frooms, your Sirens, they're all clubs that have been in this league for a num- numerous years. And we've got to remember Melksham, because they've got the facilities, they've only just come up into the 70. We need to try and turn it now to be one of the clubs that are um, that they're going to be fighting around those top, top of the, the top five. Richard, thank you very much indeed for your time. It's lovely catching up with you again. I, I know you. I know you're a keen supporter of the uh, of the Western League podcast, and of course, um, because you're no longer a Western League manager, I, I, I can't normally get a um, uh, I can't normally get you on. But if there's one positive that's come out of the coronavirus pandemic, it has given me the opportunity during this second lockdown to to go back into our archives and um, and catch up with you. And it's always great to hear from you. So so good luck um, from us. It's great to see an old alumni of Melksham Town doing so well in the Southern League and um, and uh, well good luck for the future and hopefully we'll get back playing soon. Thanks Ian and you look after yourself and keep up the good work it's brilliant. If you're thinking Tool Station I know they'll save me money but do they have all the top brands you know DeWalt, Makita, Einhell, Stanley, Myra, Kudox, Nest and Santex. Yeah they do. Over 15,000 trade quality products in the range from the leading brands with prices that are hard to beat. If you want a helping hand to save on your next job, try Toolstation. With over 300 branches, there's always a Toolstation near you. Now, before we conclude with our, our last interview of the day, uh, it is with the captain of Wincanton Town, um, Dan Wise. Um, let's, have a, let's have a look at the, the first division. I... I, I the, the, the first division table has made grim reading for me, Jim, pretty much from day one. It would be fair to say this season. So, um, so yeah, I don't, don't, I, I can't really emotionally, I can't really get too involved in this. But um, um, well, Welton Rovers are doing fantastically well, aren't they? Let's let's go with the positive. They are, yeah, they're uh, they're flying at the moment. Um, my boy Sherborne are sitting mid table after a bit of a slow start to the season, but they're uh, they're working their way up the table. And obviously your boys are the strongest team in the league at the moment. Um, yes, they sitting are. Sitting in 20th position, unfortunately for you. But uh, hopefully with the new manager in place, they'll uh, be able to turn their fortunes around. But um, it's interesting looking at the table. You see Lebec sitting at 10th there. Uh, I think most people at the start of the season were thinking that they may struggle, but they've, uh, they're have they doing all right at the moment. Again, they've only played eight games, so if they win... They're a couple of games, they'll be pushing pushing for the top six. So, yeah, it's a, it's a close league this year, though. That's been a theme, isn't it, of, of a lot of the interviews that, that, that we've had with um, First Division managers, that they say just how many sides, you know, could be in the running for promotion. Obviously, we believe it's going to be the top four that will be in line for that. And to be fair, um, the, you know, the top five... Uh, actually, you know, I mean, there's only one point between Wincanton and Warminster, but Wincanton in fifth on 20 points. You know, you've got that group of teams all on on 20 points. But you know, I mean, even even the likes of Cheddar down in 16th, you know, you could make a case 
for for them if they can put if they can go on a run and uh, you know putting some pressure on those on the, on the top four. Yeah, just just like you say, that really one win for any team will push them back up into the top top four, top six. Um, yeah, just go on a good run. You never know. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a very close league this year. And of course, we you know not knowing how things are going to pan out. We you know we we be, be fascinating to see really with it with the with the rearranged fixtures just how much that's going to impact. Because of course you know we can't managers can't expect to have players available. And of course, if the games come thick and fast, particularly after Christmas, you know, good squads could be stretched with injuries as well. Yeah, and obviously pitches become heavier with all the rain we're having at the moment. As you say there, people have to work during the week sometimes, so they can't have their full squads out. Injuries, uh, fingers crossed, no illnesses. Um, but yeah, it's uh, like I said before, if you get have a couple of wins, you're going to be uh, you're going to be pushing up towards that top end of the table. That's for sure. So one of the teams doing particularly well um, after a, after a difficult start, it would be fair to say, is Wing Canton Town, and I caught up with their captain Dan Wise, um, who celebrated 199 consecutive Western League games for Wing Canton, uh, and I started my conversation with Dan by congratulating him on that ch- achievement. Yeah, thank thank you very much. Yeah, I wasn't aware of the stat myself, to be honest. Like I said, I knew I'd racked up a, a number of appearances in the league, obviously without missing a game. So, yeah, for the club to to put that on the social media and to be one off 200 consecutive league games, yeah, I was quite surprised by the number, to be honest. Well, how on earth did you manage it? Because, I mean, you've got... I mean, the funny thing about, of course, Western League football is not only have you got to contend with injuries and all the rest of it, but, you know, obviously... you. You're not a professional footballer. You have, have other commitments. So, I mean, and there's all sorts of things that can get in the way with playing a game. So, how on earth did you manage to play in 199 consecutive matches? Well, to be honest, I've obviously touched wood. I've been lucky on the on the injury front. I mean, obviously, I haven't had had any injuries that have kept me from missing a long period of football. Obviously, if I have had little knocks, etc., I do everything I can to try and make myself available. But yeah, in terms of other other priorities really I mean in terms of obviously weddings or etc things like that family events that you can't get out of obviously I've had none of them in this in this time scale and um, yeah I tend to find don't put anything in front of football really in terms of priorities except for things that obviously you're obliged to attend and you, and you wouldn't miss so that's that's the reason really I put it quite high up on my agenda and and that's it, really. Well, I mean, that's quite an example for the captain to be setting. I suppose that you know that that obviously sends a very strong message to the to the players that you play with as well. Yeah, I mean, the lads give me a bit of stick on the saying obviously that, that I don't miss the games, etc. But hopefully, it rubs off on them. And I think on this group of players that win count, and we have got it has started to rub off. And we did have a few lads going back a few years that were missing games for thing that I think at this level you shouldn't be missing games for to be honest um, I know we're not professionals but it's still a, a good level of non-league football and hopefully yeah, if it, if it rubs off on a few of the lads and means their commitment levels improve and, and we improve the squad then, then that's a good thing I mean am I right in thinking that your relationship with, with Wing Canton goes it runs a little bit deeper than just being the club captain because there's a bit of a family theme going on um, for you as well isn't there yeah well obviously Chris, he's my brother, he's obviously been on your podcast before. He's he's the manager. He's the manager of the football club. I mean, he's the reason why I I, I came to Wincanton in the first place, to be honest. I mean, I was playing for Bridport. I mean, I was at Bridport for probably 12 years in the Western League again. 
And then my brother and his friend Andrew Mitchell got the Wincanton town job and he gave me a call and um, yeah, decided it would be a good good time. I mean, I was 29, I think, at the time. And yeah, I thought it had been a good thing to obviously come and play Western League football with your brother as the manager. Not many people are lucky enough to have that opportunity, really. And it was it's something that I've really, really relished, having that a bigger involvement in a, in a football club, to be honest. Obviously, the, the season started um, a bit slowly for Wincanton um, this, this term. But actually, I mean, the run of form you've been on recently has been truly phenomenal, culminating in, in you know in that tremendous result against um, Corsham Town. So I suppose the lockdown didn't really come at a great time for you. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, a lot of people from the from the outside of the football club will look at the Corsham result as a tremendous result. But if I'm being honest, us in-house, we were looking at it as two points dropped, if I'm being completely honest, because we were, um, I mean, we were 2-0 up, down to 10 men. And we were, I thought we were in complete control of the game, and I think their their management agreed on the sideline. It was, in the end, for them, a bit of a snatch and grab for them, and they've obviously kept their, kept their unbeaten run going. But in terms of the season as a whole, yeah, the break, the, the COVID, obviously, the, the lockdown hasn't come at a great time for us, because obviously, like you said, we're in a great run of form. Obviously, the first four league games, I mean, it all came to a head at the at Cheddar, to be honest. I mean, we've played, I mean, I've probably played, I don't know, probably close to six to 700 Western League games, probably, for Bridport and Wincanton, and it's by far the worst team performance I've ever been involved in, by far. And I, I, I get the impression that you probably let your feelings known on the day. Well, yeah, well, to be honest, I, I thought it was quite good after the um, after the game. I mean, obviously, a 7-1 defeat, it's quite easy for everybody to start pointing fingers and everyone in their own little group start having that who's fault for this and so-and-so didn't play very well. But we had a chat in the changing rooms, like, literally the, before Chris came in, the ma- obviously the manager. As players, we had a chat and ironed out a few things. And we said that like, whatever happens in the dressing rooms after we leave, it stays in the dressing room. And we go, we go on again, and we all went in the bar afterwards and had a had a drink and, and spoke about it. And then we went to Ashland Backwell the following Saturday. And that was the fourth defeat, because obviously we lost our first four goal uh, games in a row. And that was the turning point, really, for us, because th- even though we lost that game, I'd probably say it's the best we've played all season, to be honest, Ashland Backwell away. And like I said, we came away with a 2-1 defeat, but that was really the, the turning point for us. I mean, that really says quite a lot about the character of the team, doesn't it? Because the, you know, the chat in the dressing room is the archetypal footballing cure for all sort of, the, you know, all ills, so to speak. But actually, you know, they don't always work. And, and the fact that you've been on the run of form that you've been on since those disappointing results would suggest that actually, you know, you have, you know, the quality was there all the time and you found a way to sort of use it. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I mean, the first game, obviously, we went to Almondsbury, and, I mean, we had obviously such a long layoff from the lockdown, but typical, we did have genuinely about eight first-team players missing when we went to Almondsbury. But, yeah, in terms of the, the quality of the squad, I mean, to lose four games in a row just wasn't acceptable, and, and the lads knew it wasn't acceptable, and the management knew it wasn't acceptable. So, yeah, we just thought it was best to get everything, put everything on the table, so to speak, and... People just said said their piece and said what they thought and thought how we could thought what was going wrong, thought what was going well, and and everyone yeah we just we just aired it all out, got it all out between us, and then like I said, it hadn't affected the group at all. If anything, it's definitely made us stronger. I think to be honest. I mean, what were your expectations going into this season? 
Um, if I'm being completely honest with you, Ian, I think this squad of players that I'm playing with at the minute are the most talented bunch I've been involved with. Um, I think some of the players we've got are a real credit to the Western League, to be honest, and a few of them should be looking at stepping up as they get a bit older to play higher levels of football because we've got some real real talent in the squad. I think anything other than promotion for Wincanton this season would have to be deemed as a we've underachieved with the ability we've got in the squad. I mean, does the coronavirus sort of impact upon you at all? I mean, I'm, I'm in, obviously this is a question I ask the managers every week. It's interesting to hear it from a player's perspective. How how hard is it coming to terms with the new with the new normal? I mean, you know, has that? Do you think that was a, a factor at all in your poor start to the season? No, I'd like to think it was. To be honest, in I'd like to have used it as an ex, a bit of an excuse if that makes sense. But I don't think it had any impact because it was the same for every team. To be honest, so I think to to say it had an impact on, on our results, I don't think it, it was a, a had an impact on it at all. I feel that, like I said, those first four games and obviously the friendlies, turning up obviously in your kit and getting changed outside, etc. I mean, me personally, if they said that's got to happen for the rest of the season, you've literally got to turn up in your kit, play your games and leave. I mean, that's just because I like playing football. I, I do that. I know some of the lads but like going in the dressing rooms, etc. And, and we all do. But obviously, the... The times we're in at the minute, we just got to try and get these games played however way we can, really. So, Dan, how are you and the boys coping during lockdown? What um, what what training have the of the club been able to put in place for you? Well, to be honest, Ian, I mean, obviously a lot of the lads keep themselves fit by just ticking over, going on some runs, or now a few of them do are doing a few of those home workouts. But yeah, to be honest, as a club, the Matt, Chris, and my brothers came up with a really probably a novel idea, really, and he's he's drew us all into teams and. He just did a live draw on, on on the internet so we could all watch it. And we've been set challenges within those teams every week. I mean, this week, for example, we've got to run a certain amount of kilometres a week as a team and everyone's got to contribute a certain amount. So it just gives everyone that competitive edge. And I know a few of the lads are obviously messaging each other, seeing how far. So it's quite a clever idea for my brother, really. He's got the competitive spirit going while also making sure everyone's fit and raring to go when the... Uh, when the season finally resumes. I mean, given what happened last time, uh, last season, have you got any concerns about how this season's going to finish? Not, not least because of what you've said, obviously, about your ambitions for promotion. Yeah, well, obviously, I mean, if I mean, I got, I think if it does finish early this season, I mean, I think I don't know how it's gone down in in the league. I mean, I do think like a points per game thing may have to be looked at if everyone's played a certain percentage of games. That could be something, but then also you've got other teams could be because obviously you don't. It's not as easy as you play every team once and then you play every team again. I mean, certain teams might look at it and say, "Well, hang on a minute, we've played twelve teams, but we've played the top twelve, and the team that's above us has played the bottom twelve. So it's not as easy as just saying, oh, 'Oh, you've got to play a certain amount of games.' I don't think to be honest. I, I, I hopefully, even if it means going on a little bit longer or playing more midweekers in the summer, hopefully we'll get this season finished properly. Let's sort of end on a positive. I am um, fascinated to hear about, obviously, the 199 games at, at Wing Canton is a fantastic achievement, but, you know, you, you mentioned yourself that you spent, I think it was 12 years at, at Bridport. So, um, I mean, are those the only two clubs you've played for in the Western League? Yeah, well, to be honest, I went to... Um, I played for Bridport. I was at Bridport for a couple of years, and then I went to... I, was at, I went to Shepton Mallet for literally... I wasn't there very long, to be honest. It's when there was a bit of a change in management at Bridport. And there was a, it was up in the air a bit at Bridport. Like they, they didn't have a manager in place, etc. And one of my friends got me to go to go to Shepton Mallet. But I was literally only there a handful of games. 
And then obviously I went back to uh, went back to Bridport. It was one of those things. I was quite young at the time, and sometimes I think you get I think you get convinced that the grass is greener, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So uh, it wasn't. Yeah, but no, mainly my my whole Western League career, I've been at Bridport and and Wincanton. Yeah. And I mean, what are the what are the highlights looking back over the, the, this time? I mean, can, are there any particular memorable matches or achievements that you've had in that time? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously we achieved achieved promotion with Bridport up into the Premier Division. That was obviously a, that was obviously a massive highlight. I won the we've won the Dorset Senior Cup at Bridport when I was playing for those. I mean, Wincanton is still a newly in terms of a Western League club. They're still a, relatively new to the league, to be honest. I mean, they've only been in the league probably eight years. So, obviously, in terms of games for Wincanton, I mean, obviously, we've played played Salisbury in the FA Cup. That was up at their place in front of about 800 people, which, obviously, for a Western League player, mm. is is a real real, uh, real nice day out, really. And we went 1-0 up as well. <laughs> shame it didn't finish Shame it didn't finish that way, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, th- thank you ever so much um, for taking the time to talk to us on the podcast. It's lovely... To, to hear from you and congratulations again on that incredible achievement 199 consecutive games it's, it's, it's a credit to you and the club yeah no no problem at all Ian thanks for having me and like I said continue, uh, continue your great work and obviously um, hopefully we might see you down, down more lane for a game soon that'd be lovely thanks a lot Dan and my thanks to Dan for his time now then Jim just before we wrap things up um, of course, when I talk to Tom every week, we talk about his bulletin, which is, which is in mothballs at the moment until we until he's got something to write about. But um, as we covered right at the top of the podcast, you've got plenty of things to be writing about. And uh, the latest campaign I see on social media is the show must go on. That's right. Yeah. So it's uh, another idea that collectively we've come up with um, of getting clubs basically to send in or find their YouTube channels. Uh, where they've got highlights of games on there, interviews, just to give fans something to watch during the lockdown. So, yeah, we've uh, there's a new page on the website uh, that fans can go on to and click on the links for each club that we've had um, links sent in to us for. So if there's any clubs that are listening that we uh, haven't featured on the on the site yet, then please do send over your links, your social me- any social media links, and we'll add them onto the page just to keep van- fans engaged of... Uh, of what clubs are doing, there's some brilliant stuff on there. I mean, you look at Plymouth Parkway, what they've been producing, Cribs, for example, their highlights. Um, it's great to see, really, is that what clubs produce now is brilliant. I mean, I've worked in the football league before, and I swear some of the stuff that clubs are producing is up there with what the what the football league clubs produce. Is um, yeah, it is really, really good and great to see. And it's not just in the Premier Division, is it? I mean, First Division clubs like Corsham and Warminster, I mean, they, they produce some some fantastic content as well. So we've got strength in depth. We have indeed, yeah. Jacob uh, Corsham does some great highlights and some of the goals that you see that he clips up and puts on, um, it, yeah, it's, it's great. Like I say, it's, it's, I swear it's better than some of the Football League stuff that that you see being put out there. So, yeah, it's, uh, and obviously Roland, again, going back to what he produces with his commentary, and they have some really dodgy co-commentators with him sometimes, <laughs> though. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's good. It's, during the lockdown, it's, it's ideal to fill a bit of time watching some highlights, get your football fixed, rather than paying the pay-per-view telly, watching that rubbish. You might as well watch some Tour Station Western League stuff. 
Excellent stuff. What a fantastic note to finish on, James. Thank you very much for your time this week. It's um, it's great to uh, it's great to have you on. And uh, keep up the fantastic work as well, because I know we've you know people have really enjoyed what you've done with the website. Um, we've also got the reformatted bulletin as well, and of course some of these great fantastic social media campaigns. Um, so thanks very much for that. All the, all the hard work you do there, James. It's been great to see you. And um, perhaps we'll catch up on next week's Tool Station Western League podcast.